right, everyone. I am so excited for this podcast. Easily the most excited on episode 43. So like this is the most excited one. I've talked to Nate, been friends with Nate for a long time now. I don't remember even how long, but we'll have to do the math somewhere in here. And this man has changed my life, him and Jen, his wife. Everything that I have today is a large proportion of the contribution of Nate and Jen's mentorship, their leadership, and how they've just pushed me to be on the path that I am today. And so having Nate on, I'm very nervous, but very excited because of how much wealth of knowledge that this man has, the story he's gone through is just a perfect reason for conversations. And so Nate, thank you for coming on from, you know, Redmond, Washington. And I am so glad to have you here today. I'm honored to be here. And and I'll say this, it goes both ways because I know when you came into my life, you just being that type of guy that's bulldozing through the world, um, you kind of, I would say, made me a little bit nervous and kind of challenged me to to step up my leadership. And so, so it definitely, it goes both ways. My, my love is deep for you, my, my friend. Yeah. I mean, just to say like how much that Chelsea and I fell in love with Jen and Nate, I mean, I don't even know how long we knew each other. It maybe was 18 months at the time when we were in Vegas uh, at that leadership retreat and we asked you to, to officiate our wedding and marry us. There was just, there, there was no question who we wanted to have in that role of our lives. Um, and it just is a testament to how amazing you guys are. So really excited to have you here. I know, I think the most important thing is just to kind of, you know, give that, you know, the elevator pitch of, you know, who you are and where you come from and where, what are you doing now? Yeah. Um, so you you want me to start from the beginning of my story? Is that yeah? I mean, I think uh, however far back you want to go, I know the whole story from you know bodybuilding, or if there's anything before that, you know, being in faith and then falling out of like wherever you want to start with it, I'm good with it. Every bit of your story that I know up to this point is amazing to talk about. So however much you want to share, I'll dig into it. And if I don't hear something I wanted to hear, I'll probably ask about it later. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right, so let's start back into in '99. Uh, that's really kind of where my I would say my journey started in, really in the health industry. I started as a sports massage therapist and um, had gone through massage school and um, and then went specifically to to UW for sports specific. And I wanted to work. My dream was to work with teams and and to be you know in the teams and and really just be one of the guys and and. I was the top of my class and, and quickly found out it's it's more who you know than what you know. And so that uh, that was kind of a kick in the teeth right off the bat because, I mean, I uh, I lived and breathed that. And, and just growing up, I just loved sports, but I was always kind of the small guy. I was, I'm only 5'5", five five and, and so I worked really hard to be who I was, but just wasn't gifted in that way. And so so tried to find a back door into that. And, and uh, <clears throat> I did a lot of volunteering for probably about – two years. And I worked a little bit with the Seattle Sounders and the UW softball team and wasn't making a lot of money. And so ended up signing with this naturopathic doctor and he was world renowned. And and because of that, I got to travel around the the United States for about two and a half years. And I was doing pressure point therapy for him. And again, it, it really wasn't what I signed up to do. I was stuck in a room and I got to see all these cities as a very young man, which was really cool. But Get to a place where I was just like, man, this is not this is not who I am, and so went back to school uh, through American College of Sports Medicine, got my degree in personal training, and then started to get my feet wet. Went to twenty four hour fitness and became a trainer, and 
And right about that time is kind of when, really when tragedy hit and my parents died, I was 23 years old and they both died in a car accident. And so as a young man with not a lot of leadership around me, I just fell into drugs and, and a lot of drinking and a lot of partying and that type of thing. And and just was withering away. I mean, I wasn't a big guy anyway. I lifted all the time, but I really didn't know a lot about nutrition at that time. Um, I knew how to work out. And so I think I was down to about 140 pounds. And I see this guy walk into the gym and I watch him over a period of time. And it was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 weeks. And this guy just totally transformed, had a lot of muscle on him, but just leaned out. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, well, I hired a nutritionist and I'm doing a bodybuilding show. And I said, sign me up for that. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of led me into to the bodybuilding world. Um, I, the coach that I ended up um, hiring at the beginning, he kind of made a deal with me. He said, you know, I saw this other guy that was pretty big and I said, I want to look like that. And he said, well, he's like, if you put the time into it, if you do a show, a couple shows natural and you do well and, and you prove yourself, I'll show you how to take it to the next level, meaning steroids and that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I did. So the very first show, I took second. Next show, I did really well. And and so then kind of took off my journey of, of bodybuilding. And, and for me, I would say on the outside, what it allowed me to do is funnel all my, my energy, my loneliness, my anger into something that seemed positive, Right. And and really quickly, I grew a name for myself. I mean, I just started bumping up classes and I, I know what some people are going to say. They're going to judge me and say, well, you're doing steroids. And and there's the people that truly do them and understand and are coached the right way. Uh, it helps you to recover faster. It does help you to gain some. But it's a, it's all about eating. It's all about working out. My whole life was was bodybuilding. And at that time, I didn't really care. That's what I wanted. It became my family. Yeah. You know? and I, I, I have to jump in there because I, I want to edify what you're saying so much in this world is I almost trust a bodybuilder that really knows their stuff. And very quickly, you can find out to like help you with your nutrition before I'd even maybe talk to a doctor, right? Like the understanding, like the actual true understanding of it is unreal. And if they're choosing to do that thing, like at that level, I mean, I think that there's just too much judgment around that area. I think if people choose to do that, that's great, especially because of how well they do it now. Maybe way long ago, it wasn't as good. But I mean, there's so much stuff out there that can show you that there's still great benefits to doing it the right way. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, you know, I had, I've, I've had, because I still try to keep a, a pretty good physique, right? Like I still want to walk in the gym and be respected. I'm now 40, 45. And, and so I've had some fathers say, hey, I want you to talk to my son that's maybe 17 or 18. And, you know, the way that kids are now with social media and that kind of stuff, they can get their hands on anything they want. And so really life now is about education and it's about connection, right? And if you want to help your kid, it's not about trying to create walls because they'll find a way. And so I've had a lot of conversations because the reality is because of that, you know, one of the things is I wasn't able to have kids. And so... You know, there's there's uh, repercussions to everything that you make decisions in. For me, at the time, I needed that because I was a broken person and I was going in the way of party drugs and just things that were nothing but good, nothing but bad in in my life. And so so again, and just like he said, I mean, there's so many doctors out there that are prescribing things, but yet doctors get about it. Honestly, like if you truly ask them, they get about a a couple hours of nutrition training. And so. 
to, to go to somebody that dedicates their life and they're so interested in that and they know how much nutrition is going to affect them, it, there isn't really a better place to go. No, I mean, totally. I mean, the amount that I had been training by the time I met you, like at least 12 years, I think, right? Because I think we were, I was training for another three or four years after, you know, we left, when I left the gym. And the amount that you and Jen taught me in nutrition in a, a period of four years after I had been doing it 12 years, taken many certifications, been, you know, am sure and studying it myself. It was just, no one takes it to the level of that far to understand it. And in that, like, there's just so much profound knowledge, you know, that I have found. And again, that could be nuanced, but I'd be willing to test that against a lot of the nutrition professionals out there that actually have no idea, you know, at the level of like what a bodybuilder puts into it to achieve the peak because there is no higher level of achievement when it comes to eating and training to get to a certain level. And nutrition is like 100% of that, right? So is the training, but that's what I've always said, right? Training is 100% and nutrition is 100%. You got to do it both great to you know compete at that level. Yeah. yeah, and I'll say this, you know, during that period, so I, I, I really went hardcore in bodybuilding for probably about 10 years. Um, and during that period of time, like you start to realize when you're really truly trying to take it to the highest level, it's the same thing in anything. It doesn't matter whether it's business or sports or you know bodybuilding or whatever. The the top one percent, they have to almost be addicted to what they're doing, right? And and so for me, that's what it was. Like everything, it, all of a sudden, I didn't want to go hang out and do all these other things. I wanted, uh, I wanted to do what the season I was in, which was you know whether it was bulking or cutting. That's, that's where I was determined to go. And, and that's what I was focused on. And I didn't really care about anything else. So, yeah. So. Yeah. Keep so, going. I don't, I don't want to derail you. There's just, there were so many nuggets and I know if we go on the whole story, I'm going to totally forget some of those points <laughs> that just people need to hear. Right. Because I, I, and the other thing too, and I think a lot of people, you know, I think sometimes people, and this isn't a, a knock on people, right. But, but sometimes people will see someone doing something and they'll be like, oh, they're, but they're doing steroids right? As like a, a statement of like justification for themselves. That's what I look at it, you know? And I, I want, I just want to recognize that because that's what it is. Because the reality is, is if you took steroids and kept eating crap and didn't train right, you're not going to get to where those people were. And, you know, and I don't mean to be offensive when I say that. I just, I don't really want to make it what it is. I mean, that's an insufficiency in someone's self, probably in most cases when they use those, you know, those justifications. Well, and I'll also say this, I mean, just while we're on the topic, there's a lot of people that use steroids and they start to abuse them because they're not doing the other things that they're supposed to do. Right. It's supposed to give you a slight edge, right? Everything gives you a slight edge. And so when you add that to it, does it make a difference? It, uh, absolutely. But you have to do all the things that, that the building blocks around that in order to be successful in that. And that's where it gets a bad name is when people don't get the results they want, so they try to take more and they try to take more. And right. so you talk to a lot of the, the high level bodybuilders. And, and to be honest, a lot of them don't take a lot of stuff because just like you said, the, the science behind it and the openness to test blood testing and all that stuff has gotten so good that those people now they're showing like, I've got a book with uh, um, Tony Robbins and now he's talking all about it. He's, he's talking about living to 120 and 130. And, you know, if you can be healthy for the next five to 10 years, there's all this other stuff that's starting to come out that right. a lot of it piggybacks off of the bodybuilding. Right? right. And so, so there's, you know, there's always risk and reward to everything, but when you truly do the homework and you understand why you're doing it and you're not just doing it blindly, then there's, there's also, there's a lot of high rewards because of it. Yeah. 
So bodybuilding career starts to come to an end, right? And then where does life take you after that point? Yeah. So during that period of time, as I was growing, I was really in my area kind of making a name for myself and we didn't, we didn't have social media. So it was all word of mouth and and going to gyms and doing local shows and that kind of stuff. And so, so I had opened up, or I should say I joined um, a max muscle supplement store that had a private studio in the back. And so it was a, um, a, a two owners that were kind of struggling a little bit. And I had some money from my parents and decided, hey, this is kind of my family right now. And so so I invested in that. And just just by the nature of of kind of being popular in the area and and helping out a lot of people, all of a sudden we started drawing a lot of trainers and we started drawing a lot of people, not just in the bodybuilding world, but people that just wanted, you know, normal, normal people that just wanted to take their health to the next level. So so we did that for a couple of years and then we ended up opening up a, a full size gym in 2006. And um, then the crash happened in 2000, 2007 or 2008, 2009. Yeah. Right? And, and really quickly, I found out that I was a very good nutritionist and trainer and, and I would say psychologist, but I wasn't a very good businessman. I didn't understand marketing and I didn't understand how to, how to really like work through the recession. And so that's really kind of where my, I would say my real story starts because I had just become a pro professional bodybuilder. Um, I had gotten married the year prior, uh, our, our, just because of the mental state I was in, you know, again, I looked really good on the outside, but I had a lot of demons on the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and I also was, I just wasn't mature. I didn't have a lot of leadership around me at the time. And when you build yourself up so that you're the top of every room that you go into, right? And everybody looks up to you. All of a sudden, it's very easy to point fingers at people when, when, you, when you think that you're, you know, the gift. And so as the gym started getting harder and harder, I didn't want to let go of that because of ego. And so I found myself in a place where literally I had to make a decision whether I'm going to keep the lights on at home or keep the lights on at the gym. And so, so I went a period of time, a short period of time, but a period of time where I actually had my lights off, my electricity off. I also had a period of time where I didn't have hot water um, just to try to keep that family, what I thought was my family in that gym going. So, so in walks um, my future, my future wife after I go through this divorce and um and she she came in because she actually got kicked out of another gym. She was doing a direct sales company and she was helping all these people within. It was a gold's gym, helping all these people on, on the nutrition side. And they didn't have nutrition, but she was clashing with the owner because the owner didn't want her creating a source of income through his his four walls. And so he gave her an ultimatum basically and said, you either are a trainer here or you're a nutritionist somewhere else. And so she said, I'm going to I'm going to take a hike. And so. So she ends up walking into my gym and and she just is renting space, but she pitches me this Avocare thing and just my ego. I At the time, I was sponsored by Species Nutrition. If, if you guys know um, bodybuilding, Dave Plumbo was a, a decent friend of mine. He had helped me through, you know, competing and that type of thing. And and uh, and so I kind of just blew her off. And, and the, the truth is I put her in a room with all our trainers. We used to have very high level trainers that were bodybuilders and fitness stars and all this stuff. And I said, if you can sell them, then, then I'll buy into your product knowing that there was no way. And they just all stood, stood there with crossed arms and, and she did her spiel and she was pretty new in the business and, and uh, they just kind of ate her up. And so 
really quickly, I kind of felt bad about it, but I just watched her for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was, I think it was about five months. Uh, my numbers might be a little bit off, but five months of her working there. And all of a sudden she's making a pretty significant amount of income where she starts training less and less. A couple months later, she doubles it. And I think she was making about $10,000 a month at this point, like really quickly jumped up to making quite a bit of money. And it forced me to take a look at what she was doing because I'm struggling. Like mm -hmm. nobody knows I'm struggling, but I'm silently like dumping all the money I have into this place just to keep it alive. And I'm sweating bullets. Right. And so, so that kind of led us into our next season where uh, we started building direct sales together and we became closer and closer and eventually ended up getting married. And we did that company for 12, 12 years, which is that's, this is where we met Ken and Chelsea. And uh, the last five years, we had built it up to a seven figure income. It was, it was primarily sports performance and weight <laughs> loss. So it fit right in our realm. We created a lot of nutritional programs. And what we would do is we would give those out for free when they'd buy the products. Right. right. And so what it really did for us is it leveraged us with as a team within that company where people are like, oh, if I want to get results, I want to go to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it gave us kind of a powerhouse. And Ken and Chelsea were a part of that and really kind of cemented us. They were like one of our pillars, like one of our main business partners that we really, really grew you know, strong with. And so we did that over a, a period of time. Yeah. I mean, 2014 to 2019, like feel like yeah, we were, you guys came. Yeah, yeah, 2014, June of 2014. I'll never forget. How old were you when you opened the gym? Um, well, let's see. I was 23 in 2001. You're going to have to help me do the math here. It's 28 because so 2006. I opened up in 2006. Yeah, so yeah. 28. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 28 in 2006. And then the crash happened, which, I mean, there's no question, like, as it is, like I've always thought around this, like around gym memberships, personal training, that sort of thing. Like if money gets tight, it's the first thing to go. Like people are going to keep on their cable bill. I mean, they're going to still go out to eat, but they're going to get rid of their personal trainer. They're going to get rid of their gym membership, right? It's such an easy thing just to throw to the side. So obviously made that time really hard. And so how long were you running the gym and playing that juggling game before you shut down the gym? Did you file for bankruptcy on that? Yeah, so... So, and, and honestly, this wasn't something that I wanted to do. Jen and me had to really sit down and have a conversation because I identified that gym as my family. So what, what really happened was when my parents died, my mom had just retired and she got this, this small amount of money, I think 250000 for like a retirement plan. They had dumped it in right before that they, they passed away. They had dumped it into a, a stock and, um, and it started blowing up. And so I have a, a younger brother, so we split it. Well, that 250 turned into, I think it was 1.25 million a piece. Um, and so that gave me money as a young man, right. Which is kind of dangerous too. When you don't earn it, you don't know how to, you don't know how to manage it. Right. And so that's what I used to, to invest into the gym. I put a, I think I put about 500,000 into the gym to, to open the doors and had a, had some a couple of issues with the builder and that kind of stuff. So it took a little bit longer, a little bit more money than it should have. And then I burned through the rest over a period of time. And then stocks started going down with the crash and all that. So by the time I was done, um, 2000, I think it was 2010 when we made the decision, we started filing. 
Um, I didn't know anything about bankruptcies. And my thought was, let me try to pay back all the people that I owe money to because I had people that I owed money to building my signs and the the equipment and just all kinds of different things. Like the gym tr truly was a collaboration of people all coming together that we knew to try to build this thing. Right. And so, so I sat there for probably about three months selling the equipment to other trainers and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, after I was complete, completely done, filed my final papers for bankruptcy, and then they pulled all that money back from those people. And then they distributed it out. So it, uh, it was a lot, of, a lot of work for nothing. And uh, I think the good thing is people knew who, where my heart was and that I really truly didn't want to do that. And I wanted to do it the right way. But the interesting thing was during that, and I'll, kinda, I'll come back to your question in a second, is during that period of time, I knew I had to change as a person because I knew I had to get rid of those demons that were inside me. And I knew if I was going to get into a new relationship that it, I had to have a different type of heart because I was, I was in a place where, honestly, I used people in order to get what I wanted. <clears throat> and I needed to start to get to a place where I was speaking into people and growing people and that type of thing. And I could just feel that. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, as a, a young man, a young boy, I was an altar boy and went to church all the time. And I've always been kind of a pleaser. And, but when my parents died, I kind of, I totally pushed that aside. And to be honest, I, I remember poor girl, I don't even know her name, but I was training a girl and she was trying to, she was trying to talk to me about my faith during that period of time. And, and I just, I had nothing but bad things to say because mm -hmm. I just didn't trust in God. I didn't trust in my, in my faith at that time, because I thought, how can a God make me go through this, right? And it was all just me-centered. And so so anyway, in walks this guy named Bart Stamper, and he was from Louisiana. He had come up, just moved up there. He found me on Facebook and saw that, came in and saw that, um, that I was selling stuff. And he's like, hey, I want to buy a couple things off you. And really what he was just trying to do is get to know me. He kind of wanted to aspire to be a bodybuilder as well. And wanted me to do some nutrition for him. And we got to talking and just talking about our faith walk and that kind of stuff. And he's like, <clears throat> I had to take a step back. I, I had started going to church. This girl had brought me to church when I finally kind of made the decision. I do want to do something different. And I don't, I'm kind of, I'm very shy as Ken knows. And, you know, even stuff like this kind of makes me a little bit nervous to talk about, but I would go into church about 15 minutes late so that I didn't have to sing. So I didn't have to talk to anybody. And then I would leave as soon as the singing started, but I would be in the back just taking notes. And I knew that that regardless of what you believe, I knew that that foundation would help me to start to, number one, love myself more and understand that I'm loved. And number two, like help me with relationships. If I could have a better relationship with God, I could have a better relationship with other people. And it wasn't a me-centered life, right? I was just a piece of that life. And I could live my best life regardless of what happens. And so, so honestly, I, I think I went to, I think I went to church for, by myself every Sunday for, I'd say maybe nine months leading into Bart walking into my, my, my four walls. And as I'm closing this thing down. And so he's like, man, if you like that church that you're going to, you got to come check out this other one. And so, so that kind of started my, my growth in, in my faith. But to get back to your question, um, yeah, that was, uh, I think that was right at the beginning of 2000. 11, maybe the end of 2010. Yeah. And so you were going, so you're back 
you know, to your faith was starting at when you were filing or getting towards that process kind of all coincided at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's weird because it almost, for me, it was almost like a light switch. It was almost like it was something that I was yearning for that I felt like it's, it's weird because it depends on how you grow up. I grew up in a faith that didn't really talk a lot about why you believed in what you believed. It was just showing up and doing repetitive stuff over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so when things got hard, I didn't understand anything that I had learned. I could recite it all, but I didn't know what it meant. And so what was interesting is when I met Jennifer, my wife, you know, and we start building this other business, this direct sales business, it's all about leadership. And so the very first leadership of event that we went to, there was an optional Sunday service. And the guy said, he said, hey, if anybody wants to show up, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach what the Our Father prayer means. And so I was like, that's interesting. This is before I started going to church. And he, I said, that's interesting. And so I said, I, I know that prayer, but I know nothing about what it means. And so so I went there and listened to him, and it just hit me. I mean, I started crying. I was this big bodybuilder guy, and I start crying, and I have to leave the room. And I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just, I'm just like I'm yearning for something, and I didn't know what it was. And and so, so I I had originally started asking around, then how can I get somebody like that in my area? And that's why I started going to church consistently. And then almost a year later, then in walks Bart, and that's you know the final part of of letting go of evolution gym was, was the name of my gym. Yeah. I can't imagine that going from that me focused to like that, just that obedient, like faith driven focus probably was, had it been the most freeing thing for you. I bet you, you felt like, even though you were a bodybuilder and you're a big guy, you must've felt so light on your feet. The minute that transition happened internally and then externally, it just probably changed so many things that were going on in your life. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that also, it was kind of like this, this double edged sword because, you know, I was going there and I was taking notes, but also at the same time I was being poured into by this new business that we were a part of, I was being poured into by men and women, like I'd never been before, because mm-hmm. anytime that I had had back and forth anywhere else, it was because somebody wanted something and they were willing to invest in me, whether they were part of our team or they weren't, they were cross line or whatever it was. And they just truly wanted me to grow and wanted me to to spiritually release and be happy. And and I didn't even have to believe what they believed, right? And so it just was this, it was the perfect timing for me. And it was, it was just a release. And it allowed me to then start to have a hunger to, to want to understand why they were the way they were. And some of that was their faith. Some of that was the business that they were in that really, I think, catapulted me and why I wanted to like, hit that and, you know, walk into that season. So, uh, so passionately, I think. So the hunger you had then, is it still the same hunger that's driving you now? It's a good question. Um, I think it's, I think it's reversed. I think before, I think then I was chasing something. Uh, I was chasing to be those types of people that made a difference. Mm -hmm. I think now I'm looking for, I'm looking for me. I'm looking for that person that, that is broken and that person that's lost and that person that, um, knows that they have the work ethic because here's the reality. Like I was a hard worker. The reason I was good at bodybuilding is because I was willing to give things up and work really hard. But if you can do that in something, I always say this, if you know, how you do how you do anything is how you do everything. Right. Some people don't agree with that, but I think that subconsciously, if you actually understand the way your brain works, 95% of your brain is subconscious. 
meaning you're always training your brain in some way. You're either training it with bad habits or good habits, right? And so, so I think that that um, I think that that's kind of what lit me at that point was chase. It was the chase, and I became very close no matter what environment I was in, whether it was our upline leaders or later on the CEO of the company. I was always out to try to prove how I could give them value because it would make me closer. And the reality was I was actually a very insecure person, hence why I wanted to do bodybuilding and I was small and, you know, growing. I'm, I'm very short. So people don't realize how short you are when you're really big. Right. And so um, as I started progressing, I'm like, how can I give this person value? How can I give that person value so I can be their friend and I can learn from them? Now I think it's the opposite. Now I think I'm looking for those hungry people. And so, so yeah, it's, it's done away 180. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's amazing for you to be able to do that, right? Be uh, in a way Bart or, you know, if it was any of those leaders in that company to be able to notice that and then just reach out and just say, Hey, you know, I'm here. Right. And then be able to, to pull that next person up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to that, those people you're looking for, the people that maybe even feeling that way. Cause I, I told, by the way, I totally agree with how you do anything is how you do everything. Chelsea completely disagrees with me because the inside of her car doesn't look that good, but she's like, no, that's like <laughs> this like off base thing. And you know, which t- to her, you know, defense, it is kind of that way. It's just like, that's like the one Pandora's box. But I always feel that way. Like I repeat that quote so often. Like if you're like walking in your house and you throw something and it like hits the side of the trash and then falls down behind and you take take one step away, you're like, oh, I'll get it later. And you're like, no, how you do anything is how you do everything. You got to go walk the other steps and get back and pick it up. And so, no, I, I totally resonate with that. But I guess if you were talking to someone that maybe is listening in here and they're feeling broken, right? And because... what's the best first step to that? You know, do you need to talk to someone? Do you need to just start going to church? Cause like, I don't know some of the things that you said, I don't want to put you on a pedestal, but like, that's a really difficult thing to do, right. To like go ask for help from someone else, like really feed into Bart, go to church by yourself and take notes. Like, like not everyone's going to do that. So like how, what would you recommend someone take a first step in that situation? If they're feeling somewhat like you were back then? Well, I, I would say the first thing is to recognize what you want. Because I think there's so many, especially in this day and age, again, back then there wasn't social media, right? Now there's, you just, you just flip open your phone and there's a hundred people teaching you a hundred different things. And so I think, I think now it's, it's honing in what, you, what do you truly want with your life? Like what is fruit to you? When you start to look at who has fruit in their life, what does that look like? And then those are the people you start to mimic. And the reality is you don't have to be best friends with every single person, Right. They say they say you're the you're the equation of the the five people that you hang around, right? I think that that also has to do with the books you read. It has to do with people that you see from afar and you mimic. They don't all have to be within your tight circle. You know, the closer you are, the more you get to see how they they operate. But um, but I would say that's the first thing is you've got to recognize what do you want in life and who has that, and then you start to create those avenues and say. You know, if, if, if it is faith, okay, who is, who is that leader that I look up to and let me pay attention to some of the things they do. If it's being a great dad, who's a, who's an amazing dad that, that I could actually take some notes and understand, or, or I can see how, how he takes care of his son when his son's not doing the right things, or, you know, it's just, it's all those little things in life because there's not one, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be one person that's, 
everything to you because there's just, it's, it's not reality. Nobody is perfect at everything. Everybody has downfalls. And so that's the other thing that I've learned that I think is very powerful is that I've seen a lot is you'll have somebody that puts somebody on a pedestal and then they see they're not perfect in everything. And then they start to go a different way mm-hmm. because they're like, Oh, that's not the person I thought. Now there's, there's a place for that. If somebody is totally off key and you thought it was somebody else, there's some people that are really good from stage. And then in person, they're a whole different person. They're a whole different. Right. And, and especially now you can hide a lot of stuff, right. but, but I think you also have to be careful that, that you don't seek perfection because nobody's perfect. Yeah. I use that. I mean, the mentorship, right. You got to pick your mentor, right. If you have, you know, someone for relationship doesn't mean that person has to be in business. Right. Or I have someone that's in real estate, right. Like I can come to you guys for business and leading people. Like that is a huge level that you guys have fed into me and have continued to feed into me, you know, but if I'm going to go talk to a real estate investor for like this big real estate deal that we're doing right now, I'm going to go talk to one of them that has hundreds of units and they've gone through that process. Like, I mean, it, and it's, it's unfair to put that person on a pedestal, I would say to the other person, right? The person that is maybe found a mentor that is such good advice, just focusing in on what specifically you want from them. What do you like? What is what you want from that? Use that and just use that but don't make it all things. And I encourage you to get multiple perspectives, right? Because that also what helps you define what you think. I think a lot of times when people are in that space, and I want to know what your thoughts are, is they almost just find someone influential and then their thoughts become their thoughts and they don't actually understand how to process things themselves and then make decisions for themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, again, we see this all the time in our new business. We haven't got to this part yet, but our new business is, is more... Um, it's more social media driven. It's, it's, it's not as much having to get into, you know, somebody's house, that kind of stuff. Like get, you don't have to create as much of a connection just because of where we are in, in, um, in society. But, you know, what I see a lot of is a copy and paste. <clears throat> and what I, what I try to urge people to do as they grow is what is the concept here? And I think it's the same with people. Like, why is that person great? Like, why do you look up to them? Why do you think they have fruit? Right. But you got to make that your own because mm-hmm. you can't be a, a, a complete copycat of somebody else. It, it just does not work. And so it is it's, it's recognizing those things and then applying them and then seeing how you start to mold into that. It's not being a copycat of of, of whoever you're looking up to. Yeah. And like to to a point of what you said, right? Like, you know, you just got to know what you want and who you want to follow. There's thousands of options. Only because I spend a ton of time in the marketing world and I see these things like I love and I appreciate the filters that I've learned over the years being in marketing, associating those things, what's real, what's not. I mean, you and I, I mean, I would never say the person's name and stuff, but I mean, I've met people like in real life that have ridiculous social media followings, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And I mean, it's crazy, like the energy and they're poppy and they're fun. And then I meet them in person and they are 180 of that. You know, they're closed up, they're bottled, they're very short, you know, maybe they're almost a little like rude is what I've experienced sometimes. And I'm not saying that's all people, right? There's probably people that have millions of followers and they're like exactly who they are. But I'm just saying like, you got to be like, you need to pay attention often and poke that bear in different ways before you do choose to probably follow and put it to a test, right? Don't just see what you see at face value and be like, yep, that's what I want. Okay. Because as you dig deeper, you're probably going to find things again that you might want to protect yourself from because that might not be the direction you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 
So, okay, let's get into, so, um, that business, like you said, multiple years, you know, seven figures, you guys are doing really great. And then as I know, cause it's a part of my story, things change. And so like, walk me through like that transition and what happened there. Yeah, it was interesting. It was, it was interesting for me. Um, so it's, I think it's almost now been four years ago. So four years ago, let's just say that company made, started making some weird choices and and we were also, me and, and Jen, my wife, we were, we were in a position where we're now in our 40s. And, you know, that company, that company was designed so that you, you get into people's homes, you, you create relationships, you do a lot of events. And I'll be honest with you that it was a hard business. It was a business that we were willing to run and we were willing to, to build those relationships. And we loved relationships. So it was perfect for us in the time. But you could see the culture starting to shift. And so it was getting harder and harder and harder to, to get wins and to get other people wins. And, and the reality was we were making really good money, but there was probably only about four others on our team that were also making really good money. Everybody else was making, a, there was a lot of people, but they were making a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And so we found ourselves in a place where we had to make a transition and um, luckily we had, because we had such a close relationship with our whole team, we, um, we said, Hey, hold on for about two weeks and just give us some time to look around and see what else is out there. And, and so we went out and interviewed CEOs from about 10 different companies. And what we found is almost all the companies were exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And so we were a little bit frustrated on the very last company that we found that we were introduced to. It was completely different. It was actually a company that they, they had had people that had been very, very successful in direct sales. They put this team together and said, we want to tear an old company down that was 26 years old and was not really thriving in the United States anymore, anymore but was worldwide. We wanted to keep that the rest of the world going, but we're going to reestablish this and do it something totally different. And so really what they did is they copied um, they copied Uber. They, they took a look at what Uber did, which if you guys know Uber, in, in about four years, they almost completely wiped out Taxi, which was, I think, a 70, 72-year-old company at the time. And they didn't do it with any outside marketing. It was all internal. It was customer-to-customer acquisitions. It was like, mm-hmm. give your friend a free ride and you get a free ride, right? And so so this company that we're a part of now, they said, how do we bring that into the health world? And 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 how do we utilize that system? And so, so that was one of the pieces. The second piece was in our previous business, uh, and if you're familiar with direct sales, in order to make what we we're making, we had to have massive amounts of legs of business, or I like to call them franchises, people that were that were intentionally building businesses, and they had to build their own businesses. And we could be there to cheer them on and coach them and that kind of stuff, but they honestly were building their own business, and they had to bring people into their business. And it was just a very tough model. And to be honest, you know, I call it, it was like herding chickens because... There's, we had, we definitely had financial freedom, but we didn't have any time freedom because you always were trying to put out fires and trying to corral people to move in the same direction so that we could create, we were, I'll say this, I think we're very good at creating systems. And, and so we would try to create these systems that everybody would buy into, but it's not easy to get everybody to buy into the same system. Right. And so with this new, this new business that we found, in order to make the same type of income, you only need three legs of business, three franchises, and you get to help them build it. So you help to build wealth through people. So it's just a whole different type of model. And um, those are the first two things. The third thing that I think was huge for us, us now being in our 40s, and I was getting to a place where my body was really starting to feel broken down. 
I mean, I had a really bad shoulder issue where I couldn't, I couldn't put my arm above my head. Um, my knees were so bad if I was sitting at the, uh, if I, if I was going to see a movie, if I had to keep my legs bent, I would be in just agony constantly. My knees hurt so bad. Like I would do the splits to pick up my socks instead of bend my knees. Um, and then I just had crazy low back spasming and that kind of stuff. So I started using the products. The products are anti-aging products versus our old thing was sports performance and wellness and, um, or I should say sports performance and weight loss. And, and this was anti-aging. And so I felt like we could really just where we were, we could actually be the young people in a new company, as opposed to being the old people in the other company, because we were starting to get to that place where we were broken down. And so, so on the health side, it, it, it completely helped me. I could buy into the products. I felt like it really hit the sports side still. I could help guys that were, you know, weekend warriors, or they used to be athletes and they're coming off that and they want to, they want to look and feel younger. And then it could also help the women on the beauty side. And so, so we felt like it was a good, it was a good match for us, like in that season. You know, I, I, I mean, share as much as you want. I'll share my numbers if it makes it any easier. But like, because again, I talk about failures a lot and like those are definitely landmarks. I've always looked at failures as landmarks, you know, instead of roadblocks. Because I think a lot of times people will take a failure and they'll throw up a huge roadblock and it's like, oh, because of that, I can't, right? You know, and I, I just try to be like, okay, well, because of that landmark, let's keep going, let's keep pushing. And then we can look back and be like, wow, look at because of that, now look at this. And I know for us, like when that company started making those funky decisions and they changed everything, like our income the month before, like we were one of those pillars, right? We were one of those franchises that were growing. Our business was the best it had ever been. I knew when we were talking to people, everyone was like, oh, you know, it's tough or it's hard. And I'm like, things are great. Like we were growing like crazy. And I think our, I think it was $16,000 is what we made in one month, which we were working that part-time. That was amazing. And then the next month it was like $1,100, right? Mm -hmm. To go from 16,000 to $1,100, like, and yours guys was like 10 times that. Yeah. Our, our biggest month in that company, I think we were at uh, 106,000 in a month, but I think we were, I think at that point we were averaging probably about, I think we were like 72 or 75,000. And in, in, in seven weeks, it went from that to $1,100. Right. Exactly. Like the same, like we were at the same level essentially. Right. You know? And so then obviously, you know, fast forward, you guys have been in this new company four years, right? Cause it was 2019. We're in 2023. It'll be like what June this year is when we'll be at four years. You guys have far exceeded that, right? Like this massive, like where someone could have looked at losing a hundred percent of their income essentially is now in a place where you're actually grateful probably that it happened. Very grateful. I mean, let me take a step back because yeah. I think this is important. Um, so when we found out the news that this company was going to make this, these decisions and, and essentially they told us, you have about seven weeks before it's going to go from this to this. And so you guys need to figure out what you're going to do. And so um, Jen was on her way down to Arizona to do a training for a team when, when they, they said this while she was in the air. So when she got off, I had to tell her. Um, she still had, to, she still felt like she needed to do the event, but she turned it into a personal growth event. Mm -hmm. Um, then I, me, I grabbed my daughter and went to the gym and started working out. Cause you know, it's just the place to kind of burn off some, um, some, some, I don't know, whatever, but it was interesting. Cause Allie, our daughter, she's like, I don't feel like you, I think I thought you'd freak out a little bit more. And I, I said this, I said, you never know if money is your God. And until it's until it's truly taken away. And I said, this is an opportunity, I think, as a leader, 
to show that this just isn't just about money. It's, it's about relationships and it's about trust. And it's also about the process. And if we step into something else and we know we were successful in this, we can be successful in something else. And so that was my mindset that I told myself right off the bat because I wanted to challenge myself because what I saw in that company is I saw a lot of leaders that spoke a big game, but I would say at least half of them, their identity was tied to the company. Mm-hmm. When the company went down, all of a sudden they were not leaders anymore. They were not acting like leaders. And so it was a huge, it was a huge lesson in my life, but I think I was prepared because of what I had gone through with my parents. It's a different situation, but it's still tragic, right? Yeah. And so I knew how to handle that because I had gone through all those years of that. And then luckily I had started really diving into to church and, and my faith and and I had been prepared so that that wasn't my identity. My identity wasn't based off of what I made. It was based off of who I was and and what I felt like I could bring to other people in their in the relationship. So so I think I think that's a big thing. Um I'll be honest. You know, at first our whole team followed us over almost. I, I think about 95%. Right. We had one big leader that kind of separated. She actually went out to ministry and yep. and her whole team kind of disintegrated. But um everybody followed us over. But here's what was interesting is not everybody bought into the new system because it was different, right? It was all about anti-aging and we were all about weight loss and sports performance. And that was very hard for people. And, and this isn't a bag on anybody because we all have an idea of like where we want to go. Right. And so me and Jen knew we had to shift, but I I just want to say this for those people that are listening and tragedy happens or, or you have to make a shift, the best leaders in the world, they're always shifting. They're always retargeting their brand. They're, you know, every, they say, I think now every three years because of how fast things are moving, like you've got to change up your systems. You got to change up your website. Like you've got to constantly be in flux. And so the people that are pliable and able to do that are the ones that succeed. The ones that say, no, this is who I am. And that's only who I am. They're the ones that like the blockbusters that, end up, you know, obsolete. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're all in a river, right? Like the way I've always described it, we're all in a river and you know, you're either flowing down the river and just taking it wherever you go, but you can put your paddles in and, and, and navigate it. Right. That's Cause good. that's a good analogy. Right. Cause you are, I mean, it's life and you can't control life, yeah. but you can steer it with your actions, with your mindset. I know for me, you know, it was, ours was a much different situation when we lost that income. I think what we lost more than anything else was the people, right? The income for us was extra credit back then. We had a lot that we wanted to do with it, but it was extra credit. It was when, you know, six months after that, I lost my full-time job and Chelsea wasn't working for three years and I wasn't walking at the time. Like, talk about like, Dude, you had so many things hit you at once, right? Like, I mean, not walking. So, health wise, you're not in the best place. You know, you already lost one thing, but then you lose the whole other thing. And I think the only thing that got us through that was faith, right? Like, just knowing no way we have done too much good for it to be this bad that long. Just keep pressing forward, believe in the process, right? And you know, just just do control what you can control. And, you know, gratefully so, it was the exact same situation for us, you know, to be able to get to a place where we're actually like, we look back and we're grateful. We're like, yeah, I mean, it was, a, you know, it's sad, you know, because it was a big part of your life, but still you're still grateful and you're glad where you are versus where you were, you know? And I think, I think a lot, a lot of people could benefit from that lesson because I think there's a lot of times you are in a valley 
And I don't think people look at, I don't think that they're actually totally observant to their full surroundings when they're in their valley. You know, you almost get like, um, you know, you get, I don't, I don't know what, what you, you get the blinders on, right? From a horse and you're just like, you have to figure it out. You have to pay the bill. You have to do like that. But if you can actually be more observant of all things, there might be opportunities in that valley that might steer you in the direction and you might take a, a, a much easier path to the next peak if you can have the right faith and listen to that versus just, you know, go out of fear. So good. Yeah, for sure. So now, I mean, I mean, so you guys are crushing it in that, like that's been going for years. I mean, are you, I mean, anything else that you're doing in life right now, obviously you're a lot more involved in church, right? Uh, what, what else is going on in your life right now? Well, it's interesting because um, our, both of our kids just graduated. Our son graduated really two years early. Yeah. So he went, he went to running start, um, wasn't wasn't much for high school, so went went to running start to a, a junior college, and then went to transfer to UW and um, graduated three months ago, and already has a job lined up with Amazon, and just such a such a good guy. And then our daughter is in New York, and she's about to graduate this spring, and so she's she's into film production, so a little bit harder career, I think, a little harder career choice, and it's really about who you know in that kind of you know same path as, as how I started out, but, um, but we're now empty nesters. So now, you know, we're taking a look at, you know, what do we want to do? And so Jen's fallen in love with horses and she has two Arabian horses. She's learning how to, how to, um, not only ride them, but she wants to show the horses. And so, so we're actually in the process of looking at houses in Arizona and kind of making, maybe making a shift down there this summer. So we'll see. Whoa, that's exciting. Yeah. Are you guys going to keep the house there? Are you guys going to, you know, no, we're going to get rid of it. I mean, this, it's a, like, this honestly has been like a dream house to us, but in Washington, every spring is like, you have to redo everything because there's so much rain here. And so, um, it's just too much to, to have to maintain, to go back and forth. So I think yep. we'll find something down there that we feel like is very comfortable. And then, um, and then we'll probably travel a little bit like during the summers. I, the summers get pretty hot. So, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be a, a transition, but I think we'll be, we're ready to kind of take a couple months and start traveling again and, and build back relationships. You know, the thing with our last business is we did a lot of traveling and we were always in people's homes and, and with COVID and, and just this new structure, we don't have to do that. And so it's, uh, we're missing that part of it a little bit. Yeah. No, I get that. I, I'm excited. We have some trips coming up, going going to Tahoe in June, and I'm really excited. We're bringing the whole company there, right? So we we were like, hey, if we do X, Y, Z in 2022, everyone's going to Tahoe. We're paying for everything, right? Take oh, one out of the Advocare's playbook, right? Like yeah. all expensive pay trip. We're doing tickets, everything. You don't have to. The only thing you got to do is when you land at the airport, you got to get yourself there. That's the only thing because trying to organize like yeah. like that part it, it's yeah, easier to buy flights before. for yeah, 30 yeah, employees yeah. than it is to figure out the, like the transportation between that and the place you're staring for 30 like that's just madness so yeah really really excited about that so a couple of things that I, I think that just is really important to never graze over you i mean you talked about it a handful of times talk to me you know how big of a role does reading play into your life hmm. well I'll, I'll say this first of all for those that maybe aren't readers or aren't good readers. Um, I've, I've always been dyslexic. I didn't actually even, I didn't understand. I thought it was a lack of not reading when I was younger. Um, because honestly, outside of high school, the books I had to read, I read magazines and, 
And that was about it until I started getting into personal growth with that business prior and kind of making that shift. And so, um, so I thought it was just my curve. Well, I started going to a therapist for some things and, and talking through it with her. And she's like, Nate, she's like, have you ever been tested uh, for being dyslexic? And I said, uh, no. And she's like, a lot of the things that you have is very similar to my daughter. And she's like, I want you to get tested. So long story short, I found out that I am. And so, so it makes it very difficult for me unless it's very, very quiet and, you know, and I can concentrate and my mind's there um, to really read at a speed that's worth doing. So I, two things is, is number one is I create a, I create a schedule. So every morning I get up before my wife. So I have an hour to, to read. It's been life-changing for me because I think also it, it has to do with, with how you're wired. Like, Ken used to be really big on this on on strength finders and and helping you understand you know how you're wired and and who you are and and what how your brain works and operates. Well, one of my top ones is I'm learn a learner. So when I learn, then I want to teach, right? And I think some of the the best leaders in the world they are constantly learning, doing, and then teaching. And so so I try to mimic that and build that into my schedule. So every single day I'm doing those things. I'm learning, I'm, I'm actually doing the things, I'm applying the things, because I used to be of the, uh, I don't know if it's ego or what, but how many books could I get through so I could check it off and say, I read this one, I read this one. And then I had a really good mentor, and I didn't even mention him, but but one of the guys that, that one of the reasons that really pulled me into this new company is just the leadership. Justin mm-hmm. Prince, I can't say enough about him, yeah. like, just an amazing guy. One of those guys that there is no... Every how he does anything is how he does everything. I mean, the, from a, being a father to a leader to um, it, the way that he he re- lives in faith, all those things. Uh, and Justin's incredible. Oh my gosh! But one of the things that he said to me, he's like, Nate, it's it's not about how many books you read. He's like, I don't care if you read one book a year, but you will learn how to apply that better than anybody in the world. He's like, that's the gold. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of changed my mindset to. I'm really going to start to journal and I'm really going to start to write in my books. That's another thing I used to write in my, I didn't want to write in my books cause I it was like, I wanted them to be perfect. And so I would make notes, but then I'd have to go back to it and I would get lost in the notes. Now I scribble all over them and I write notes and write notes to myself. And, and so I think that that is one of the things, like if you can process that, if you can get a book and you can process it and if the book doesn't hit you, then don't read the rest of the book put it aside because there might be another season for that book, yeah. right? I have a, I have a ton of books. Anytime anybody that I think has fruit in their life says you should read this book. I don't go out and read it right then. I go grab it. I put it on there and I have them organized in different sections, whether it's faith or leadership or relationships or all these different sections. So I can be like, right now I need to work on relationship. Let me go to those and let me, let me find a book that hits my heart right now. And then I dive into that. And so then I'm very intentional about the book I'm reading and I don't put a time restraint. I'm not here to read 80 books in one year because that's what they say that, you know, the ultra rich do. I'm like, how am I, how could I apply this and who can I affect with it? That that's kind of such gold. Like there, I mean, I don't know when that hit me too, but I mean, I felt the exact same way. Like, I felt like I was having to just read a certain amount of books because everyone we talked to was reading a certain amount of books. I'm like, all right, well, I got to read that many books. Um, and, you know, 
And the other thing too is everyone reads in the morning. It is really hard for me to read in the morning. Like, I don't know why, but when I get up, there's things that could be done. So I start doing that. And so it's really hard. But at night, like once everything's done, I sit down, Chelsea's doing her thing. I read a book and it's just finding that time, right? So just knowing like, you know, if Nate gets up an hour and a half early, if that's not your time, that's okay. You know, find your time. I think I want to speak up on the notes thing because I used to be the same way as you. I used to write in journals, probably learned it from you. Something that I found is a couple things. One, because I have ADD and so reading is still incredibly hard for me. I learned this from Alex Hermosi who wrote a book called $100 Million Offers. It's an amazing book. It's a really quick read. Um, he talked about how like you can literally crush a book and retain so much more by listening to the Audible and reading along to the book at the exact same time and taking notes. That was the next thing I was going to say. Dude, that, like, I, if anyone hasn't done that and you have the 30 minutes just to, like, literally shut off and do that, you will get more in that 30 minutes than you will in a month of doing whatever you're doing and reading, period, right? And the other thing that I did, and I really encourage you to do, and I don't know if you do this, is, like, you know, the back page or, like, the back, like, you know, bifold is, like, empty pages essentially. And so what I've done now is every single like spot that like really hits me or there's a, like, I want to do an assignment on this or, Hey, I want to work through this. I just start making a list of the pages. And so the minute I get done with the book, what I do is I like sprint through the book, right? So like the major takeaways or anything like that. And it's just, it's profound what you can do in that book. And so I, those, ugh, every bit of that is so good. Yeah, so, good. so good. So, um, okay, good. If you got something else. Well, I was going to say one, one other thing, and, and this also, it, it depends. Like, so one of the things I do is, is I'll read, like for me, I do a chapter a day right now. And so I, I do the same thing he talks about. I listen to it and then I'm, I'm writing as I'm doing it and I'm outlining and I, I use, I use highlighters and then I use a pen and to me, they have different meanings. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like some of the main topics I'll, I'll highlight in pen, but then the rest of the stuff I'm highlighting in a highlighter. But here's what I also do because I'm listening to it. Then when I go to the gym, if I'm working out by myself, I re-listen to the thing that I just took notes on. So that it just keeps pounding it into my system. The more that you hear it, then then it becomes automatic. All of a sudden you start to speak it. Right. Because again, I'm not the, the I'm not the fastest or the sharpest tool in the shed, but I know if I just repeat things over and over, that and, and again, the you the the learn do teach thing. It works really well. Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. It's another good hack too for a lot of people. It's a lot of people are like, I don't have enough time, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that? You know, you do have time. You're just not prioritizing your time, right? Like even to have a book, like, again, it might be too much information. Instead of scrolling on your phone when you're in the bathroom, you know, maybe prolonging that, have a book on the back of the toilet, right? Like even if it's that, like that, those are choices of little bits of time that add up over time. When you're driving, when you're in the gym, I know how many people I've talked to that I listen to audiobooks while I work out or I listen to a podcast for a specific purpose while I work out. And people are like, how do you do that? I'm like, it's easy. I love it. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've forced myself to be fulfilled by that because now like listening to music doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, right. It, it doesn't. And so, I mean, I know that's something that t- is a trained skill, but it just like anything, like, you know, maybe you didn't like coffee at first or maybe you didn't like wine at first, but you keep doing it. And then for some reason now you love it. It's the same thing as that. You just, it's a trained skill that you have to repeat over time. Okay. So another thing that you said, you know, a handful of times, you know, we talked a little bit about mentors and stuff. You know, is there any, any like ticks to that tip? tips or tricks that you recommend to people? Like, I think you said something, and I I don't want to graze over that is like, you know, someone from afar, right? Like, I think that's a good thing to maybe expand on. Like, 
Um, can someone mentor you without actually being able to call them and text in and have a conversation and do a work session? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I think, I think one of the best, um, it was a pastor that actually ha- had helped me do this. He, at the beginning of the year, we would sit down and we'd say, okay, what do we want to change in our lives? Like, what do we want to accomplish this year? Because here's the reality is a lot of people make a lot of goals within a year, but then they don't for like, for some reason for like five and 10 years over. Right. And so the whole goal here was what is our big vision? And then what are we trying to accomplish in this year that we know we can accomplish? And so it starts with who are the people that you're going to pay attention to? And so we would make categories. And so we would make categories in our, in our faith and our finances and, leadership and parenting and just all the different things that we felt like were important in our life. Everybody's different. There should be different categories for everybody. And then you start to plug those in. And so what I would always try to do is like, okay, what are my top three people in those categories? Knowing that I'm not, I'm not going to be able to have a personal relationship with every single one of them. One of them might be a pastor like Stephen Furtick. Like my, my wife loves Stephen Furtick because he's such a good speaker and and he's dynamic and, you know, he's, I mean, he, he, he is so good at taking any kind of message and making it into a story and, and just being relatable. Right. So that for her is like one of her top ones for her faith. She's never probably going to talk to him. We're, we're actually going to Charlotte for our, um, our yearly training for our, our business and we're going to go watch him, but that's mm-hmm. probably as close as we'll ever get to him. Right. And so, so, what I always do is, is I create my, my top three in that category. And then, and then I constantly am like, how do I either watch them? How do I pay attention to what they're doing or how do I meet them? Or how do I set up time? And if it's somebody that is in my realm, maybe I do a lunch with them once a month or, but I'm being intentional. Right. And so you kind of have backups in each category. And that's, that's what has worked really well for me probably the last five years. And, and here's the, the crazy thing is, is, the people that are in that list now, completely different than they were two years ago. Like right. it changes because people people are sometimes they're they're there for a reason in a season, and then you don't need them anymore, or you mature and you need something different, right? And so it, I think it should always be kind of revolving like that. No, I love that. I love that so much. You know, so talking about reading, talking about you know mentoring, all this around personal growth. What's what's Right now, you know, and again, it's a season, right? You know, you might have been a different season and this was new, but I just always like to hear this. Like, what was like the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Mm, that's a good one. That would have been a good one for you to ask. <laughs> I just thought of it based on what we're talking. And... Uh, okay, I'll just give you a... a what's a, what's right here? I, yeah, what's I, right here I, right now? Justin Prince shared with me, it, it's persist until. He said, I think it's out of, um, I think it's out of The Greatest Salesman. And actually, Andy Andrews used to say something similar. He used to say, um, persist without exception. But, but he said, persist until, until, until is the important, uh, important word to highlight. Because until you're successful, because most people, they persist until it gets tough, mm-hmm. right? Or persist until resistance. But what he challenges me to do is he says, if you know what you want to be successful in, if you persist until you're successful, you can never lose. Because you become a leader that if that doesn't work, you, you move a different direction. You start to find a way and it's always a growth mindset. And you always know where your true north is as opposed to people. A lot of people, they're on a growth journey. But guess what happens is they go this way and then they go that way because they see something else. And then they go this way and they're all over the place and they become lost. And I think 
I think that's the easiest thing in this world is to become lost. You're people to say, I do want to be better. I do want to be better, but I don't understand even where to go, you know, and, and this is probably a whole different conversation, but really that kind of comes back to like, you know, you're finding out your mission and, and your vision in life. And like, what are you truly trying to accomplish so that you can see if all of the things that you're actually doing align to that. Yeah. Otherwise you can, you can, even as, as you start to get more and more successful, a lot of times what happens is you get more and more people asking you to do things because they know you're good at it and you can find yourself like way over here, right. And doing things that make no difference to where you're supposed to be going. And so sometimes saying no is the strongest way to, to get where you want to go. But that again, it all comes back to, I'm, we're totally. Oh, you know, I mean, there's like so many areas that we could go in. Like, I mean, there's a couple of, no is so much, so powerful. Right. And it definitely learning the power of that and the right timing of that. You know, I think there's definitely times to say yes, you know, Maybe if it's to get on a roller coaster because you're afraid of heights, maybe that's the time to say yes. You know, because I'm joking because <laughs> Nate's that. afraid of heights. Uh, but you know, you know what's funny is when you said persistent till before you even said successful because I have a question about that. But you know, the word that I heard is persistent till it's easy, right? Because I think anything is hard, right? So like the tension that you know point is right. But I like this idea of like things are hard until they're not, and the only ways they don't become hard is this if you do it over and over, and you fail through it, and you learn from it, and you refine it, and you debrief, and you 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 get better, and then it becomes easy, right? And then when something's easy then you'll keep doing it, right? Or you'll go to the next thing, right? And so that's where my mind went. I don't know, because you didn't even say successful. You just said persist until, and then you went. But it's, it's interesting because it kind of has somewhat of the same vein, I guess, of the, the direction that I would see it going. Successful. And this is a word that has been in every podcast I talk about, almost any monologue. I think the, the hard part for a lot of people is when they hear success. Obviously, I think it's success is like observer dependent, right? Like it depends on, I think, the person's definition of it. So like when you say successful, like what's that mean to you? Um, I think successful to me is um, it's definitely not money driven. Um it's interesting because I use money as a measurement, you know, in, in the business that we're in, the more people that we help, the more money we make. It's just the nature of our business. I think it's, that's the nature of most businesses. But um, for, for me, I want to be somebody that others, if, if I was to die tomorrow, I would want people to say, man, that was somebody that, that ministered to me because he ministered to the needs that I, I needed. You know, what really like, what really drives me is, to know somebody needs either health or they need finances. And that's my, my step into the, you know, that's my way to connect with them. But the reality is I want to help them to be a better mom or dad or spouse or, um, or not go to bed with anxiety because they don't know where they're going in life or who they are. Like just minister to people like that to me is success is if I'm looked at that way and um, I'm giving value to people. That. Yeah, I that's really good. I love that. You know, when you said money, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about because I think a lot of people demonize it. I think there's a lot of different directions you can go. But something that I've been recently thinking about is like, I think money is a jockey and you can pick a lot of different horses, right? Because money is the thing that's going to help you drive in something. And the better the jockey, the faster the horse, right? The more money you have, the the faster you can achieve something, the faster you can go the direction. And so um, I think it's important to have it and I think the more that you have, the more you can probably do with it. But it's also understanding like 
again, the better the jockey, the better the horse. And that's from the intent of the person, right? And so I definitely try to do everything I can to normalize money, talk about money, you know, push people to want for it because it makes the world go round. But it's, it's an interesting concept that I've been thinking about recently. Yeah. And, and I think that especially where our economy is and, and our leadership within our economy, it's, it's looked at, it's looked at negatively and, and everything's trying to be equalized. But the reality is people aren't putting the same amount of energy in that aren't making money as opposed to the ones that are right. And so that's, uh, again, that's a whole different topic, but, but, but it, it really comes down to the people that are truly looking to make a difference in somebody's life versus the people that are just trying to create separation. I mean, you're right about the money thing, you know, with where we're at. The thing that I tell people that when they're struggling with money, you know, I was like, I want, because people have poor spending habits, right? Like, I think, I think that's, it really boils boils down to it. Um, I was, you know, with someone recently and we, we were going somewhere and I underdressed, right? We were traveling. We went to like Minnesota and Pennsylvania and stuff and we went somewhere and, and we happened to be in a situation over a day or so where this person was complaining about money, like they were talking about money. And, you know, we were going to go somewhere and when we were going to go there, like I didn't dress appropriately, like it looked sunny out, but it was a little breezy and I had like a t-shirt and shorts and I was a little cold and we were going to go to a zoo and I'm like, oh man, it's going to be cold. I'm glad Jordan's warm, but man, I'm cold. Like let's get moving on the, go into the zoo and find some sun or like find some shelter. And this person went in and they were cold too. They did the same mistake that me and Chelsea did, but they went in and bought a sweater from the, the zoo store, right. To wear a sweater. So they were warmer. And I guess like for me, when I think that's a poor spending habit in my opinion, right. Like to, to prioritize that you better believe I'm not spending a sweater. If I'm having a hard time, like paying bills or, you know, get, getting food in the house. I just, I, I use that as a, a funny example. And I know that's not everyone, but I think a lot of people just need to like take time and look at what they're spending money on. Because I think if you actually pay attention to it, uh, in our current situation, we don't use cash anymore, right? We just swipe the card, we swipe the card, auto bill, auto bill. So I mean, subscriptions on TV, right? Like I, I saw this statistic, right? Where actually people are paying three times more than they were ever for paying for cable right now because they have so many subscriptions, right? Just cancel the subscriptions. And so I think the thing that I like to try to always educate people on is understand like there is spending habits and, and you can have poor ones. And yet you probably learned those from your parents and you know, that, that is what it is. But I think you need to look in internal cause you have to control those to be able to get more of that money to be able to jockey and do something different or ride a different horse, depending on what money you have. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. What was the worst advice you've ever had? I don't know. I don't, I don't really hang on bad advice. All right. <laughs> to good. Be honest. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think I could come up with something right now. How do you, would you know to, I guess, mentor advice book, you know, how do you know to set it down? What's your, what's your filtering process to set those things down or not hold on to those? Cause I think they're, like you said, a lot of people are lost and I think people hold on to things probably longer than they should. You know, do you have any sort of filtering process for that? So are, you, are you talking about things of the past that they've, that they've maybe done wrong or? Anything, or, right? Like, I mean, you said a mentor, maybe someone in their life, they're holding on to someone, but then they're looking at it differently. So they stay connected to them or a book they're reading and then they keep reading it because they're trying to push through it. Or maybe there's baggage like you're talking about. Like, I just think in general, like when I add the, ask the question, you're like, oh, I don't really hold on to bad advice that long. Well, how do you know that it's bad advice and how do you let go of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you got to, you got to pay attention to, um, it all comes back to like, what is, what is the fruit that you're trying to accomplish? And if it's, if it's not coming to fruition, 
right? If you're seeing something different from that, then I think I think you got to detour, or you got to reassess and 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 look at what you're following. The reality is is there's some people that do certain things and they get a different outcome from it too, right? And so you have to understand who you are and what you've built up to that point because we're also in a culture where there's so many avenues in order to build influence. And some people have it through being the first to the conversation and some have it because they're really good at the conversation. And so you also have to, you have to weigh that there's just so many different things, but again, it all comes back to, you have to have checks and balances where you're constantly assessing. Um, again, we didn't dive into this, but when you know what you want to accomplish, who you are and what your mission is and, and the vision of where you're going and what you, the time frame and you, when you want to accomplish it, if you're not moving towards that, you've got to assess, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person or you're doing the wrong thing. It's just, you might have to take a little bit different path. And so I think it's just always being intentional about looking at those things. And sometimes that's setting that up seasonally or quarterly, or sometimes it's a daily check. Um, I think one of the things that I've really worked on because I'm not a, a, I'm not a huge celebrator. And so I will get to a place and I used to have a hard time with this because I wouldn't celebrate my team because a lot of people, they'll do more for recognition than they'll do for pay. And I was so good at, I don't know if this is good or not, but I was so good at getting to a place and saying, okay, what's the next step? Yep. I mean, I would be on stage. I remember, I, I remember turning pro and as I'm walking off the stage saying, I need to, I need to do this, this, and this to my triceps because I need them to look like that guy's for my next show, right? And so I, my mind always goes to that next step. Well, that can be dangerous because if you're not taking a moment to celebrate, then that means you're not being present. And so uh, again, it's, I think a lot of that is assessment because you only see that when you take a, when you take a time out and you look back. And so, okay, to, to, to sum this up, here's actually how I do it now that I'm just talking through it. Yeah. Every morning, every morning after I read and after I do my stuff, I, I, I read and then I go down and I make breakfast and then Jen gets up and Jen doesn't usually make the bed. And it used to drive me crazy because just like Ken was talking about, like how you do anything is how you do everything. I used to get upset and I would, and I would go make the bed upset. Well, I had this shift one morning where I was like, what if every time I made the bed, I prayed over my wife? What if every time I made the bed, I assessed what I did yesterday and then I try to make those wrongs right, or I try to make a shift. And so my morning routine in the morning when I'm making the bed is all about that. Now I actually, sometimes I get upset if she makes the bed. Because you didn't get that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, that is a great juxtaposition, right? Flipping it and using it to your advantage. I love that. So, I mean, I, I know it's a big conversation, but I think it's important just to even give a couple bullets of like to, for people to chew on. If people are feeling lost, and I agree with you, you said it earlier, and I, I feel like we could have a whole podcast on this, is people are so lost, right? They're so easy to watch Netflix for seven hours at night. You know, they get off work and they go home and they watch Netflix or they, you know, they scroll on their phone mindlessly and they're like, oh, where'd two hours go? You know, they don't have a purpose. They don't have drive. They don't have motivation. And I don't think that's anyone's fault, but they just don't understand where to start. 
And I think it's almost easier to avoid that, right? To go not have to be in your own thoughts than it is to scroll through social media. And so how would you, you know, give someone a couple nuggets of how to take that path or start in that direction of finding purpose or motivation or drive? And here's the reality. I think it, it, every single person goes through these seasons where all of a sudden they find themselves a little bit off and they're watching too much TV or, um, or they're just, maybe it's, for me, I, I know there was a season where, this is so funny, I saw The Rock and he's drinking, he's having a drink every night before he goes to bed, right? And so I'm like, dude, he's so lean. Like, if he can have a drink, I could, ha- I could have a drink. And all of a sudden, it started becoming this habit. And then all of a sudden, I start putting on weight and I'm not getting stuff done that I should be getting done at night. And then I'm not getting up in, in the morning. It starts to have this compounding effect, and right? And so... So what I did is, is I said, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board and I have to start to create, number one, I have to ask myself, what are the things that don't align to what I want, I want to accomplish, right? It's okay to have a drink, but I don't need to have a drink every single night, right? And then the next thing was, okay, let me start to create and hone back in my schedule because from season to season, it changes. Sometimes when, when the kids are around and, and we're doing more things with the family, I've got to make time for that. And therefore I have to shift where I'm reading and, and that type of thing. And so for me, it always helps me and it keeps it fresh to, to change my schedule a little bit based mm-hmm. off of where I'm emotionally am at that moment. And so sometimes I might decide, you know what, I'm going to do cardio as soon as I wake up. So I'm not going to read right away. And that first 30 minutes is going to do that. And then I rework my schedule in the morning so that it fits to me. And it also feels new. Because doing something repetitive, there's there's a benefit to that, but there's also monotony. And so sometimes you got to work through that as well. So the same thing with as far as like watching TV, if sometimes you need that, sometimes you might need uh, a season where you need to sit down with your wife because you're not spending enough time with her. And that's what she wants to do. And she wants to unwind. So you give that up because what you're truly looking for is the connection. Right. And that's more important than whether you're watching TV or not. If you were reading a book, you're not connecting with her, right? And so I think it's, again, it comes back to assessing what are you truly trying to go after? What aligns to that? Now, how do I create a schedule? And and just like you talked about earlier, if I need to be reading when I'm on the toilet, then that's when I get the reading in because right now I need to spend more time with my wife and that's super important for her so that we can mend our relationship and we can be stronger there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just the intention, right? Like it's amazing when you just, if you actually are intentional, even in short bursts, it is amazing how far you can go. I think, I think a great quote that, you know, really embodies that is I think people consistently overestimate what they can do in a week, but then they underestimate what they can achieve in a year, right? Just the intentionality of your day, of your week and being more intentional in that gains so much momentum. Like you not only can get more done, but then also have more free time. Right, if you're more intentional uh, and understanding that, and I always tell people, a good, I think a good gauge to know if you're intentional or not. I'm curious what your perspective is. Is if you're in something and you're thinking about something else when you're in it, and then when you're now in what you were thinking about later, and then you're thinking about the other thing, you are 100% lost with your intentionality, right? Because if you're at work, 100% be at work. And don't be thinking about like the time that you're supposed to be with your family, right? Because then when you're with your family, what are you doing? You're thinking about work because you didn't get all your work done because you were thinking about family. And that is just a lack of intention is what I have found in myself, right? And I'm speaking only from experience. Um, I'm curious what, I mean, would you agree with that? 
hundred percent. And I would say a great example of that, that, that I really have learned to look up to that I actually didn't care for when he played in the NBA, but was Kobe Bryant. Yeah. You know, that is, he's such a great example of, he was the hardest worker as far as a basketball player. But if you look at him, he also had a phenomenal life at home. And if you go back, he screwed up that relationship at the beginning. He had to go back and make it better. Right. We all, we all are going to screw up at some point. That's not the issue. That's not what we should focus on. We should focus on the fact that he actually created an amazing relationship after that because he was very intentional and he spent more time away from his family, yet he was always driving them to school. He got a helicopter, right? So that he could actually pick his kids up more often and he could get to practice quicker. And so he's very intentional with his time. And so I think it, it fits right into what you're talking about. He said this and I literally like, it's so crazy. You're saying you're, you say that I literally heard it in an interview, a random interview when I was on social media this morning, he said, you have to be lost before you can be found. Mm. And it makes me think of like what you're talking about, like with his wife and that whole thing. And then he had to be lost in that. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it before he was found to then be that and be amazing at it, right? Ed Milet, right? You guys sent me a book. It's a great book. And I've always been a fan of Ed Milet, you know, his whole one more, you know, his whole thing. He talked about it because their kids went to the same school together and they played volleyball together. And um, he talked about how Kobe, like after retirement, how like literally like 14 hour day volleyball tournaments. And he's there like rubbing the daughter's backs, carrying the one daughter as the other daughter's cheering along. And just like he talked about, like Ed Milat was like, I need to level up my game, you know, of being that. So I'm just giving like, maybe cause not everyone knows like how much of a family man he was, you know, after the fact. And uh, it just, yeah, I think that whole loss to be found, like, I think it's totally okay to be lost because that's when you can be found and that in that being lost, you find yourself and then that find yourself might be that biggest purpose that you've ever had before. Let's spend this conversation. Let me take control of it for a second, because there's something that I think is important yeah. if we're going to use Kobe is, is the reason that it, when Kobe died. So let me just give you a little, pa- my past is, you know, I grew up a, a hardcore Michael Jordan fan. Like, I mean, I was a fan of his in, you know, like 85 before he was really great and, and just grew up like loving him. So when Kobe came on the scene and he was like the copycat, I hated Kobe. Like I hated Kobe all the way pretty much. I remember when he scored the 60 points and I was just like, God, I do not like this guy. But as he grew after after retirement and you started seeing who he started transforming into, you know, if you guys have never read or or studied the hero's journey. The hero's journey is basically how every really good, compelling movie pulls you in. And it's it's this journey of what they call the hero, but it's a journey of a person where they're going from different phases in their life. Well, Kobe Bryant had so much success at the beginning that people would think that that was the pinnacle, but it wasn't because he still was so selfish and so self-centered. It was when, it, you know, one of the, the main transformations within the hero's journey is when you die to self, when when you start to let go of your past and you start to become something else and you actually discover your gifts. His gifts was in a second half when he turned number 24. It was for the purpose that he was more about his teammates than he was about himself. And so that was like his transformation, but it doesn't even stop there. It actually stops where at the end where he starts giving back to his community and his family. And he starts to show like what a true athlete is 
that it wasn't just about the money and the fame and the championships, but it was actually like, how does he pay that back into the future generations, right? Where the, the, the student becomes the teacher. Yeah. And so it's just uh, like his story is like when you really dig into it, it is so powerful. And that's the reason why when he died, I mean, it, when he died, when I found out, I seriously, I, it was like a, a flashback to my parents. I had never, in all the years, he died in... in, in uh, 2019. 2020? It was 2019. 19? Yeah, because right. it was... Co- my my parents it... died in 2001. That whole time, I did not feel anything like I felt when he died. Like, I had a, I had a, a, like an evening where I was almost like, almost in a panic, a panic attack. It was weird. Yeah. And it was just because I had come to respect the journey in which he, I, I felt like I'd lived it. He graduated when I did in 96 and I get to see him grow through that and truly not like the guy into a place where I really, really respected him. Yeah. No, Kobe post Shaq was way better than Kobe pre Shaq, to be completely honest. Like, cause he, I mean, he, like you're talking about, he became a team player and stuff. It's yeah, it's yeah, it was, it's good. It's good. Okay. Well, Nate, I mean, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you on here and to do this. I think that there's probably, if as I go back, there's probably going to be four or five things that I wish we would have expanded and gone deeper and deeper on. But we're already here at an hour and a half, and it's been amazing. And so I am, I just, I just got to say, I, I have so much love for you, and I am so grateful for our relationship, our friendship. You, you and Jen just mean the world to us, and I, I cannot wait to share this with everyone that engages in this. Well, I love you. And I, I'm so honored that you asked me and uh, looking forward to coming up there sometime soon. Now that we're, uh, now that we're empty nesters and we can, we can come and go as we please. Yeah. I mean, if you want to come up this summer, we could go surfing. You guys have your own place to stay at. It's, I mean, it's pretty legit. Just saying. Yeah, I'm down for sure. Yeah, man. All right, brother. I love you.